Hey, Calvary family, Ben Daly here. Thanks for being a part of Calvary's worship experience. Whether you're here in person at your location or you are online, we're so glad you're with us today. I just want to say that Kim and I could never do what we do if we didn't have such an amazing team at every location. And right now, we are currently in a summer series called Pastor, I've Got a Question series that was prompted by questions that I've been asked as a pastor. You know, we all find ourselves asking questions at times. Doubt isn't something to be afraid of. It isn't necessarily a sign of not having enough faith. The reality is that doubt is oftentimes the doorway of discovery to deeper truth when the doubt road is traveled with the Holy Spirit. Underneath our doubt is usually fear we have, an assumption we've made, a lie that we've believed. It's, it's when we uncover that fear, the truth can set us free from captivity. Doubt that leads to questioning helps us sort out assumptions and lies from fact and truth. Embrace the doubt and questions, face them head on, see them as doorways of discovery through which you and the Holy Spirit can walk and journey together. The truth is that we all have questions, but sometimes I think we're afraid to ask them. But in this series, we will encourage you to embrace the gift of asking questions and in doing so, discover the beauty contained in hidden treasures. When we ask questions, I kind of see it like a miner. We're, 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 we're looking for gold. There's, there's hidden gold. And so we dig and work to unearth and discover the treasure, the mysteries that are hidden in Christ. I can't wait to be back with you in just a few days to answer some of your questions, but oh, we've got a great teaching team at Calvary. So let's jump right into week four of Pastor, I've Got a Question. Here's today's question. Pastor, I heard a TV preacher say, God's judging America. Is that true? You ready? Here we go. Well, come on, Calvary. Let's thank God for our lead pastors, Pastor Ben and Kim. I love them dearly. So glad to be a part of this team. I'm so glad that they chose to answer some questions this summer. There's been a lot of engagement. I'm loving the flow here at Calvary as we continue through our summer series. And as you can see, I'm not alone. I got my friend with me today, y'all. We got a big question. I need a little help and reinforcement. Give it up for Pastor Eli. Yes, sir. Bless the people, sir. So good to be here. Good to see you guys at 11 a.m. And uh, we're going to have a good time. We're going to have a good time. Let's jump, jump right into it, Pastor. Well, man, we got a big question today. You ready for this one? We had fun at the nine, but here we go. Is God judging America? Let's go to our key text and let's answer this question through a New Testament lens. Matthew chapter 5, verses 14 through 16 says, you're here to be a light. Bringing out the God colors in the world. God is not a secret to be kept. We're going public with this. As public as a city on a hill. If I make you light bearers, you don't think I'm going to hide you under a bucket, do you? I'm putting you on a light stand. Now that I've put you there on a hilltop, on a light stand, shine. Calvary, it is time for us to shine. Keep open house. Be generous with your lives. 
By opening up to others, you'll prompt people to open up with God, this generous Father in heaven. Man, that's a powerful text right there. Can we just clap our hands and rejoice? Look at the picture Jesus is drawing out for us today. It is a blessing to know that our generosity, our perspective, our shine literally opens up the hearts of people so that they can receive the goodness of our good father. So this text is very important for us because in order to answer this question, we've got to refer to, depend on, and literally get revelation from God's word. But here's the reality. Violent crimes, mass shootings, uh, suicide, natural disasters, the recent pandemic, political corruption, they're all tragedies that have plagued our country, the world. Uh, but it looks like everywhere you turn, there's cities burning, government upheavals, and unruliness. And what makes it worse is this nonstop access that we have that gives us front row seats to the destruction that's taking place in the earth. Think about it. There's literally death in front of our faces 24-7 because of the media because of the access that we have. So the images that are being produced, they have the potential to haunt us. A lot of fear. There's a lot of worry and anxiety because we're sitting on our couches and at our desks, literally watching death in front of us 24-7. Now these events that I'm talking about today, they're pure evil. They leave us shocked. Many of us are brokenhearted at what's going on around us. For many, it raises a very serious question or a series of questions. Number one, where's God in all these tragedies? Why isn't God stopping them? Why doesn't God protect us from all the bad things that are happening in the world today? So during times like this, it's normal to ask questions. Uh, when you experience loss, pain, tragedies, it's perfectly understandable to scream, why? I'm not sure if anybody in here has done that. I'm not sure if anybody online has literally screamed out why in this season that we're in right now. If you have, it's all good. We're going to help you with your why today. Death is awful. Loss is terrible. Tragedies, man, they're unfortunate. They're enemies. I hate it. God hates it. We all hate it. But here's what's the problem. The problem, Calvary, is that we hesitate to address these issues because all of these late, latest tragedies, they become a platform, an opportunity for people to grandstand and advance their particular causes. Have you watched the news lately? Have you guys been checking out social media? Have you been listening to the conversations at the water fountain at your job? Here's what you're probably hearing. We need more guns. No, we need fewer guns. How many fights have broke out at your job in the last 90 days? Please don't wave your hand. Just wink, though. I do want to know. I don't know. <laughs> we need tighter laws. Law and order. No, we need fewer laws. We need more prayer. My goodness, we haven't prayed enough. Uh, what about this one? Uh, we need to go to war. No, actually, we need peace. We need the vaccine. I'm not taking that shot. <laughs> we hear it every day. Let's be honest. But here's this. We don't like voices that don't lean in our direction. So we're fighting every day, everywhere we go. It's like playing a game of Russian roulette. Pick your poison, right? So it seems like every time we face a disaster, here's the hard part for us as spiritual leaders. Every time we face a disaster, so religious leaders take, get on the airwaves and start proclaiming that God is judging the world. 
in particular, America. Because, you know, we're the root of all evil in this world that we're in. So if there's any problems on the planet, it's probably because of us, right? So according to them, listen to this. According to them, 9-11 happened because God was angry with New York. According to them, Katrina happened because God was angry with New Orleans. According to them, this recent pandemic, the corona, coronavirus, it is happening because God is angry with the whole planet. He just say, forget it. I'm mad at all of y'all. Here's what we're dealing with. Many leaders, they limit their perspective and their method of dealing with the pandemic is reduced to simply making claims based upon false interpretation of scriptures. Or should I say the misuse of scripture? Here's what they're saying. We got to confess our sins one to another. We need to confess our sins to God in order to get him get right with him and get rid of this plague our sins are standing in the way of our prayers for God to heal our nation God brought this virus to grab our attention the virus is a scourge for God to discipline us based upon these errant claims the consensus is that God is hurling disasters at us because of our sins and the solution is very clear you better get right with God or he's going to continue to violently beat us and bully us with a virus and, and, and to make matters worse Pastor Kareem you got many religious leaders who claim that coronavirus yeah. might be the end of the world so how do we know that it's not the end of the world? Because you don't stop God's judgment with the vaccine. You don't stop God's judgment with the pill. You don't stop God's judgment by closing your borders or staying indoors for a few months. I mean, if, if coronavirus pandemic were truly God's judgment, we could not prevent or diminish or stop it in the slightest way. I mean, let's think about it for a little while. So good, if a pandemic like coronavirus were God's judgment, then apparently we possess the power to stop God. Yeah. Or, or, or at least slow him down. Yeah. And even more, if, if, if it were from God, then man, he must really be angry with the seniors because they're the most susceptible to this. Come on, man. If it were from God, oh, yeah. watch this. If it was really from God, then shouldn't we be praying for it to spread instead of stopping it? After all, we are on God's side, aren't we? We do want his plan to go forward. We're not against it. You see how foolish all of this is? You see how foolish it is for anyone to claim that these natural disasters are God's judgment on the world? Nevertheless, some people just carry on saying that this is God's discipline, that this is God getting our attention. Imagine if you disciplined your own children and got their attention by injecting them with the lethal virus. I mean, you could and you should be reported to Child Protective Services, am I right? But still many are projecting this sort of behavior into our God and Father and entertain the idea that this is how he treats his children. This is not God's agape love for us. This is not the truth that sets us free. You have to understand that your concept of God is going to shape and influence you more than you can imagine. 
It's going to frame your attitudes. It's going to frame your actions. It's even going to frame your responses to what may come your way. If you're thinking that God is harsh and vengeful, then you're going to interpret a difficult circumstance as God judging you. If you think that God is demanding and unforgiving, then you're going to interpret tough times as him, uh, as his retribution for your sins. Ladies and gentlemen, this indictment against God's goodness, you know, it, it may seem valid, you know, seeing all the circumstances and everything going on in the world that we live in pain, suffering, tragedy, and, and injustices. And then we ask, how can a good God let these things happen? But knowing that God is good is very important because it allows you to hold on to the certainty of his character in the midst of uncertainty. You can trust his heart even when you don't understand his ways. You can trust his voice even in the midst of all the noise and all the shouting and all the chaos. Ooh, that's good stuff, man. Let's thank God for the gospel. Thank you, Pastor Eli. We need the gospel in times like this, man. You mentioned something, the noise and the shouting. Uh, so how should we, Calvary, respond to these loud voices? Because it's loud, man. Uh, how do we answer these hard questions? Uh, people are asking during these times. We got to answer the question in light of the gospel. Here's why these loud voices, we got to consider something, okay? In our lives, usually, uh, the, the voices of influence are the loudest voices in our lives. For instance... We give pastors influence. So when they speak, their voice is loud. Why? Because we're under the impression that they're hearing from God. So when we hear a preacher with that title, with that influence, get on the airways and he's telling a nation that God is judging them, we give influence to that voice even though he's wrong. What about this? Let's talk about politicians. Their voices are loud. Why? We voted for them. We voted for the one that we thought believed as close as possible to us. We thought that when they got into office, they were going to kind of lean in our direction. So when they speak, we listen. We're trusting them with laws and we're trusting them uh, with setting uh, a legislation. Why? We gave them influence. What about this? Professors. Think about your academic institutions. Today, there are people in this room watching online. You're in the process of getting your master's, your doctorate. You are leaning on the voice of professors. Why? We gave them influence. Because their years of study, their connection, their academia, we're leaning on that so that we can progress and get higher pay, get in stronger positions, and build greater networks. So when they speak, we're listening because we gave them influence. What about professionals, doctors? We're listening to the doctor because we know he spent his whole life studying medicine, vaccines, the body. He's got history. He's got data. So when he speaks, we give him influence. Their voices are loud. But here's a declaration that I want us to hold on to as believers. Even though those voices are loud, the loudest voice in our life should be the voice that is in us. That is the voice of the Holy Spirit. That is the voice of a good father. Because when all of those other voices are wrong, we don't make moves based upon those voices. We check every voice at the standard, at the power, at the demonstration of our father's voice. And if the two voices don't match, we say thank you for your voice and your years. We appreciate your skill. But I 
I'm going with what my father said. I'm going with what I know about this new and greater covenant that I'm living in. I'm going with the finished work of Jesus Christ. I don't know why I'm sitting in this chair. I'm feeling like preaching today. It's just one of the moments because the gospel has the potential to give us power over every other voice that is screaming at us in this crazy world. So let's keep on moving with this. How do we answer these questions today, Pastor Eli? We're going to do it through the lens of the new covenant. Question number one, is God judging America? The answer is no. You ought to be clapping. Some of y'all are shocked. Some of y'all are like, he ain't crazy as we are. No. Anyone who tells you otherwise you have permission to love them stay connected it's up to you but I want you to know something they're unacquainted with the gospel the sins of America along with the sins of every nation the sins of the world were already judged on the cross Hebrews 10 12 but when the priest had offered for all time one sacrifice for sin, he sat down at the right hand of God. If Christ's death was a sufficient sacrifice for our sins, and Calvary, I want you to know, it was then God cannot judge America for her present sin. It would be unjust for God to judge the same sin twice. That is called double jeopardy. The work on the cross is finished. That means all of our sin has already been dealt with through Christ on the cross. Here's what happens. Before I got a revelation, I'm going to be honest with you. I used to say stuff like this before. Notice, before. Before. I say stuff like this. If God don't judge America. You know I had to say it like that because it's holier when you put that. If he don't judge America then he's going to have to apologize to Sodom and Gomorrah. Felt good, didn't it? <laughs> it's wrong, but it felt good. It felt holy. It made, me, it made me pick myself up by putting other people down. You know, it's just something about that craziness that we get involved in because we don't have a revelation of the finished work of Christ. But now after the cross, I got a different way of dealing with this. Now I say things like this. If God judges America, he would have to apologize to Jesus. I can hear it now. Well, what about the judgment day? What about it? It's not one question we're answering, but if you want to talk about it, this is when we'll reap our eternal consequences for the choices we make to trust or reject Christ in his perfect sacrifice. That's totally different. So when hurricanes struck Texas and Florida and North Carolina, many said God was judging these states for their sin. We isolated the state based upon the natural disaster. Why are we so infatuated with sin? We categorize it. We label it based upon geography, based upon the color of your sin. And this group, the color of your skin, this group is all messed up because they believe this. And we always want to categorize sin and the punishment thereof. How about we stop focusing on what Jesus has done for us instead of focusing on what sin has done to a group of people because of where they live or the color of their skin or because of their economic background or because of where they are naturally. As believers, how about we just stop doing that crazy stuff? I want to make it very clear, the cross 
not hurricanes, was God's remedy for sin. The cross, not a pandemic. The cross, not mass shootings. The cross, not injustice, is God's remedy for sin. So he will never use those things, those tragedies, those troubles to judge us. He already did it on the cross. So the sins of America, they were forgiven and done away with way before the Mayflower Pilgrims landed on Plymouth Rock. You know, God loved us so much that he dealt with our sin and the punishment of it before we even needed him to do it. He loved you so much that he prepared a way out. So why in the world are we bypassing this amazing finished work to start putting ourselves in position of being judged? How about we understand this? We're already judged and his judgment over us is love. You want to know God's judgment he loves you and he cares for you pastor eli help us because i feel like preaching sir just just help us move forward let's move forward next question whose fault is it it's not god's remember what psalms 115 16 says the highest heavens belong to the lord but the earth he has given to man god gave us the planet and we're responsible for much of what happens who, who, who first sinned and opened the door to death? It, it wasn't Satan. I, he was laying out at some beach drinking pina colada. It was, it was Adam. It was one of us. Romans 5.12 says, Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, Adam, and death through sin, and in this way, death came to all because all sinned. Some people are saying, you know, we let Satan into our country when we took prayer out of school. Actually, I think Satan's been around a lot longer than 1962. I mean, his influence goes all the way back to the garden. It goes all the way back to the garden. But you know what? Satan wouldn't have been able to influence us if we wouldn't have listened to his lies. I mean, we can blame whoever we want, and it's, it's not going to be helpful. But if you're going to point fingers, then let's blame Adam. It was his decision to reject God that, that brought death and, 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 and to all of us. Let's blame his offspring. They're the ones that built a civilization of, of violence. Don't blame God. And then another question. I'm going to move quickly here because y'all are too quiet this morning. So what did we do to deserve this? What did we do to deserve this? Nothing. When bad things happen, we tend to wonder, what did I do to deserve this? Understand that this is the flesh talking. This is, this is Job sitting in the ashes, examining his navel for unconfessed sin. Well, I'm pretty sure I'm a good person, but I just lost everything. So I guess I must not be a good person, but, but I think I am. I don't even know what to think anymore. Because the flesh is a scorekeeper. When good things happen, it's because we did something good. When bad things happen, it's because we did something bad. I remember running around as a little kid in my house, barefooted and stubbing my pinky toe in a coffee table. Man, that thing hurts. What was the first thing that came to my mind? What did I do wrong? I must have done something wrong. Some call it karma. But like all man-made religion, it's only fruit from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Terror, sickness, disaster, death. These are not God's judgment on the world. 
Still, you got Christian karma, the idea that the price for our sin is some trial or some pandemic, and that's just running rampant today. It's a lie. The cross of Christ destroyed all karma. God wants to save the world. He doesn't want to hurl evil plagues at it. There's a story in the Bible. About 2,000 years ago, a tower collapsed, and it killed 18 people. And this tragedy led, led Jesus to pose a question to the religious-minded folk of his day. And he said, do you think those who died were more guilty than all the others living in Jerusalem? I tell you, no. Ladies and gentlemen, some people die because they're in the wrong place at the wrong time. Others because the circumstances of life simply place them in harm's way. I mean, have the people that have died due to the recent pandemic done anything to deserve this death absolutely not there, there, there's no lesson to be learned here there's no moral here there, there, there's not if you do this next time no all we can take from this is what jesus said death comes to all so let's change the way we think and let's start to come to jesus for new life for a new perspective through the gospel man that's good something about the gospel man it just liberates and uh this is the gospel y'all this is the proper interpretation of text in regards to what we're dealing with let me get to the fourth one real quick why does god or why doesn't god stop this from happening why doesn't god stop this from happening this may be a shock to a lot of people pastor eli but god doesn't always get what he wants Second Peter chapter 3 tells us that it isn't his will or he is not willing that any should perish. But guess what? People still perish. He could intervene, but this restraint, he restrains himself on account of what? Love. All of these events have, uh, have led to this season being titled the most intense season or one of the most intense seasons in American history. But I want you to consider this. The greatest tragedy in history, you brought it up a minute ago, Pastor Eli, happened when Adam ate the for, from the forbidden tree, the tree of what we call do-it-yourself. That was the greatest tragedy on earth. Why? Adam's act condemned the entire human race to death, and God did nothing to stop it. Was it God's will for Adam to eat the fruit? Absolutely not. Yet Adam ate. Was it God's will for millions to die, millions to die over the last year and a half? No, yet they did. No doubt about it. At funerals, we mourn and we weep. And here's what we hear. We hear these statements from people of influence. When we're at our lowest, we hear statements like this from Joel 121. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. It sounds so sobering, but guess what? It's not the truth. God does not give and take away because when you believe that, you have this crazy schizophrenic belief that every time you lose something, every time you go through a storm, every time you face trouble, you're under the impression that it's God punishing you and taking back what he gave you because you ain't acting right. I'm here to bring peace to your soul. I want you to be awakened to the fact that your good father does not give and take away. If he gave it, you can keep it. Stop banking on a statement from Job. You got to read the whole book because even Job himself in verse chapter 42, he said, man, I don't even know what I was talking about. I said some stupid stuff. You know why? 
I didn't have a revelation. I was letting my pain do the talking. We've all done it. Read the whole book. Job declares, I didn't even know what I was talking about. I was going through the lowest moment and season of my life. I was talking crazy through a dark lens. I love Job's attitude. He was saying, man, whatever happened, I'm going to praise God. But he had the wrong interpretation of where the trouble was coming from. Today, I want you to understand that our trouble is not coming from God. God gives Jesus, and he's never taken him away. He gave forgiveness. He's never taken it away. He gave peace. He's never taken it away. He gave joy. He's never taken it away. He gave perfect union and righteousness. He's never taken it away. He gave us provision. He gave us resources. He gave us his presence and he's never taken it away. Which leads to our fifth question. We're going to move quick. We got one more after this one. But here's the question that many people are asking. Has God left the building? Has he left us? Has he exited America and moved to another country? The answer is no. I'll never leave you. And I'll never forsake you. Even when you're wrong, I will stay with you. I am with you. See, when you ask the question, where is God? You're implying that he isn't here. You're implying that he skipped out because of our frailties, because of our decisions, because of what we are doing. This is deception. God didn't leave us. We left him. Let's take it back to the garden. God never left Adam. Adam left God. In fact, even when Adam called himself leaving, it was God who says, Adam, where you at? God didn't reject Adam. Adam rejected God. Even when Adam rejected, he was there. Not only was he there for Adam, but we see through scripture that God was still communicating with Adam's children. Even they knew the voice of God. So not only did God stay with Adam, he stayed with his kids. And he's been here throughout every generation. He's like that father who was waiting on the prodigal son. Stop thinking that God left us because of our wrongdoing. He's never leaving us. He is never forsaking us. He died while we were yet sinners. This demonstrates his love for us that he loved us first and he will never leave us. Come on. All right, now go you, ahead. You can clap a little louder than that. That was amazing. That's a great promise of the gospel. And I'm going to wrap it up with the last question. So how should we respond? And I think you hear this every week here at Calvary. As a matter of fact, I'm sure. You hear this every week here at Calvary with love and grace. You see, these recent tragedies, they didn't happen because God stopped loving us or because he stopped caring for us. They, they didn't happen because our religious performance wasn't what it could be or what it should be. They, they, they simply happened because of the effects of a broken world with broken systems, with broken people. So what should we do? Calvary Church, family, what should we do in response? I'll tell you what we need to do. We will weep with those that weep. We will mourn with those that mourn. We should ache, hurt, and cry because this world is a place where people die from bullets, from bombs, from poverty, from disease. I believe we should pray. We should pray that in this dark night they may somehow know the comfort of God, that their eyes would be open to his goodness 
and to his grace. I also believe that we should continue to give so we can provide opportunities for the gospel to be shared so good news invades every corner of the earth. And then when that time of mourning has passed, because it will, I believe we should get up and carry on with the only task that Jesus has left us. That is to declare and demonstrate the gospel to everyone, every day, and everywhere. And I believe we should provide a broken world with the prophetic picture of the age to come. The age where justice reigns. The age where heaven and earth are one. Listen, darkness only persists because the light doesn't shine. Calvary, let's shine. Let's shine bright. Because the answer to violence, the answer to the pandemic, the answer to social tension, it isn't to hang up the Ten Commandments in courtrooms again. It's not to build higher walls. It's not to stockpile guns or food out of fear. Those are inferior choices. What this sick and dying world needs, it's not a Republican agenda. It's not a Democrat agenda. It's a revelation of Emmanuel, God with us. Let's shine, Calvary. That's a word, man. That is a word, y'all. Here's the gospel. God isn't opposed to us. He loves us, imperfections and all. And while we were sinners, he died for us, and he lives in us, and he lives for us. What America and every other nation needs is a revelation of God's limitless love. They need to see Jesus. They need to see him through the church, through you and me, through us, Calvary. They need to see him, need to see him shine every place that he has placed us. Where is God? He's in us. And wherever we go, there's going to be a release of his awesome presence. I want to make some declarations over you before we prepare for generosity. But in business, I declare that we will shine. As believers, as sons, I declare in politics and government, we will shine. In media, we will shine. Instead of flooding the airways with negativity, we're going to flood it with the good news of God's grace. And we're going to be a part of it. And we're going to be generous. And we are going to literally share this gospel in this toxic trail of, 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 of media. We're going to step into that realm of media and release good news. In arts and entertainment, Calvary, let's shine. In education, let's shine. In our families, as we are raising and loving and imparting into our sons and daughters, let's shine. Let's go to our key text, Matthew 5, 14 through 16. You are here to be light. Bringing out the God colors in the world. God is not a secret to be kept. We're going public with this. As public as a city on a hill. If I make you light bearers, you don't think I'm going to hide you under a bucket, do you? I'm putting you on a light stand. Calvary, I speak to you today. We're on a light stand and we're going to shine bright. We're on a hilltop and we're going to shine bright. So let's open up our homes. Let's be generous with our lives. By opening up to others, you'll prompt people, encourage people, inspire people to open up with God, this generous father 
God is letting us, uh, letting us know that our generosity helps others to open up to the revelation of his goodness. Most churches are praying for a move of God. You know what we're doing here at Calvary? We're praying for a move of his people. God's already done his part. The new covenant message that we want to share with the world today is not about God launching trouble over them, but it's about a God who loves them and longs to save them. There's already great fear and anxiety in the world. The last thing that the world needs is a group of believers coming to them, making them feel more guilty and condemned. They need to know that because of the cross and because of the resurrection, the offer of forgiveness in new life is at the table. And you know what our job is? It's to tell the world that they've got a seat at the table. They can be healed, free, saved. They can understand the revelation of the finished work. Lift your hands. Let me pray for you real quick before we go into generosity. Father, we are going to shine bright in the midst of darkness. While the earth is shaking, we are at peace because we know that you are in us. We know that you are for us. We know that you are with us. I declare today a peace to manifest the peace that you've already given. Let us awaken to it and let it manifest as we shine today in Jesus name. Amen. Come on, clap your hands if you receive that word today. Let's thank God for Pastor Chris. Let's prepare for our generosity. Come on, could you thank God for these two men? Thank you for the word today. Host, if you can position yourself, if you just give me a moment. I love the answer that they gave us. I love the positioning they gave us. We sit here and go, what could I do to make a difference? What, what should I do? Can I tell you the highest calling? As I was sitting there, I wrote these three things down because I was like, Lord, what, what is our role in this crazy world? People think, man, it's influenced politics. Man, if I could become this, if I... And God said, what did my son do? And I wrote these three things down. He demonstrated unconditional love, radical forgiveness, and total humility that right there if we as a people can walk in that and by the way that is not weakness that is power under control that's what you are church that's what you have I want to give you this thought very quickly you could prepare your giving we have given envelopes in front of you um, you can go online on the app you can give thank you for allowing us to continue to push outside of these four walls and impact truly this world there's two mindsets that there is in the world, and I saw that in the story in Genesis chapter 14. When Abraham was coming back from winning a military battle, he encountered two kings. The king of Salem, Melchizedek, and the king of Sodom. And if you read that story, you see two mindsets develop, and I'm just going to briefly show it to you because this is why we give. The king of Salem, his name is Melchizedek, came up to Abraham and gave him communion, representing the body and blood, Jesus. And then he blessed him. And then Abraham's response was to give a tithe of everything he had. I want you to notice who initiated that. We don't give to get church. You already have everything you need in Christ. Melchizedek is a type. It's a, the, we know that that's a, some people believe it's a Christophanes, which is a pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus in the Old Testament, which happened a couple times. I don't want to confuse anybody, so 
just ignore that part of it it represents Jesus okay the king of Salem represents Jesus and here he is giving communion <laughs> the cross hadn't happened yet but he was giving communion then he blessed Abraham the king of Sodom went to Abraham said let's make a deal let's hustle let's strike a deal up you take all the people and I'll take the money or vice versa I take the people you take the money can I tell you the two mindsets the two mindsets one is I hustle to get the other is I already got so I'm generous do you see the difference I'm not trying to hustle nothing now I ain't saying I don't work hard I'm saying I work from a place that I have everything I need in Christ I lack nothing I give because I have this is the mindset that we are battling church I hope you go back and read this story for yourself I had never seen those two mindsets until this week when I was sitting in my quiet time we're not giving to get church you don't lack anything this is an expression of what I've already got God has already richly blessed you and the communion that that was a representation of has already happened the body and blood of Jesus has already been given to you and to me we have already received this abundant life in Christ now we get to live this out and the greatest expression let me say that let me, let me back that up one of the greatest expressions of me understanding that revelation is I live my life like this I don't have to I get to this part this ain't a duty to me spoiler alert the reason why Abraham told the king of Sodom I don't want anything you have he said because when I become great, I don't want you to have any credit in it. I don't want the world to have any credit with what God's building in my life. Ain't no man gonna go, look what I did for you. I'm not even gonna be able to do that. It's gonna simply be, look what God did in my life. When I get to heaven, it's gonna be, look what God did. That's what Abraham said. He looked at the king of Sodom and said, nah, bro, I don't want you flexing when I become great. Nah, you good. I want God to flex over my life. Allow me to pray for your offering. Hold it in your hand. Those of you online, you can give right there as well. Father, today, we simply give out of the overflow. For some folks sitting here, this is a step of faith. They don't see it in the natural. But Father, it starts in the spiritual and manifests in the natural. So today, this giving is truly by faith. I thank you, Father, you're going to multiply back to us. I thank you, Father, we're going to it's going to go out of these four walls. I thank you we're going to reach past and beyond what we naturally or normally could have because we operate in faith. Bless both the gift and the giver, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you, church, as you give.
on, let's rejoice together, Calvary. He rose and he reigns in us. I got a couple of invitations before we dismiss today. Number one, if you're new to Calvary, you heard the message, you were here with us in person. I want to connect with you. Would you meet me at the Welcome Center? I got a gift for you, myself. Some of our other pastors would be there. We want to just talk to you for just a moment. Make sure you are properly welcome and give you some information. We want to connect with you. We want to grow in grace with you. Also, I want to invite you to the five. It's for our young families. It's for our young adults. But it's really for everybody. It's a smooth vibe. It's a cool vibe. We're sharing the gospel, same message, but we're fellowshipping and really touching the heart of our next generation. You can come and support us and hang out as we do that. Real quick, before we go, can we stand together, man? I just want to pray over you. Father, I declare today that we will shine. Everywhere we go, the glory, the presence, and the power of Jesus is with us. We're going to go where people are hurting and we're going to shine. We're going to go where people are confused and we're going to shine. We're going to go where people feel left out and hopeless and we are going to shine in Jesus' name. Amen. Calvary, I love you. God bless you. Let's keep shining. Let's keep being the light. See you next week. We encourage you to live generously and give generously. You can do that right there online on our app by searching and downloading Calvary Church CC. You can give on our website or you can text to give by texting Calvary IRV followed by the amount to 77977. And I encourage you to set up your recurring giving. Calvary, let's remain consistent and faithful in the face of inconsistency.